when people who are curmudgeonly have an appeal, even when they're fairly distasteful. a podcast perfectly pleased to discover this week that it can credit its stunted emotional range to its superior intelligence, thanks to science. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? I miss having a cat. Lori misses having a cat. Tonight is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, the very first day of school here in Charlottesville oh, yeah? City. Look at that. Kids were off to the public schools this morning. A glorious return. Nothing will uh, cement your faith in our institutions quite like having a place to send your kids for like six or seven hours a day <laughs> when you don't have to... <laughs> Especially like yeah, you, know, you get to the end of summer and it's like that's enough sh- of that. uh, There's a lot of kid going on around here lately because we ran out of shit to do. We had a very busy summer, and in the last week and a half, we had nothing on the calendar. Like there's no all star baseball. There's no swimming uh, team. It was nice. There's no uh, vacations planned or vacations to look forward to. There's just literally nothing for a week and a half. And I agree, it was great to have unstructured fun and freedom for the kids, which is what summer should be about. But also it results in them reverting back to like the three-year-old version of themselves where they just have to say all of the things that are on their mind all of the time as (laughs) though it's the most important thing in the world and not the same stupid shit they said 500 times yesterday. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, you have to rule out two of them. Yeah. You have to rule out that it, it, it's not a good thing to say by saying it. How else can you learn? Yeah. Anyway, it's Wednesday, seeming to have become a thing here lately, this Wednesday night. Yeah. But, uh, my responsibilities to the school uh, parent-teacher organization uh, led me to standing uh, behind a uh, folding table at the school for eight hours. Or nearly, it wasn't actually eight hours, like six and a half hours or something. Mm-hmm. Um and having to uh, socialize with people in real life, which is and not... And also, like, get money from them. Right, yeah. I was... You're not just socializing. It's not hanging out with friends. It's it's doing a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I was being... Uh, I wasn't being solicitous, necessarily. Not outright. I was just selling selling gear, like uh, the, the school gear. We're trying to unload the old stuff before the name change comes through sometime in the next couple of years. So we got to <laughs> clear out all the old inventory. Do you d- disclose that when they're buying uh, the merch? 
<laughs> uh, sort of, sort of, they know. They they sort of know, and we're sort of doing it quietly, like you know, yeah, uh, price to move. Uh, <laughs> but it's not right. It's just the regular price. Is not? No, we did. We 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 took uh, half off everything. It was oh, all nice. Also, the advantage. It's all paid for. It's all right. old. It's, Lori raises a great point here, which is that it's not actually real money. If it's, a previous PTO regime yeah. spent the money in order to acquire the inventory, right? That's true. Like to us, I mean, that's not. I'm back in accounting classes. Right. So if we had I'm smart at this, if we had an accountant uh, who actually, you know, though they'd be pissed. Right. They would be mad. But we don't have an accountant. Right. We have a treasurer who's also a co-chair on the board. They wouldn't be There's pissed. Only... They would just write it as a charitable donation, and then the. The merch would have been written off as a loss in prior years. So, like, it's not illegal. No, it's certainly not illegal. And also, like, nobody cares. But, like, to us, the three people currently on the board, it's like, well, we've got all this stuff and we don't have very much money. But if we sold the stuff, (laughs) we would have more money. And then we could do stuff with the money. And so uh, the, like, it, it's, it's as though it's like f- it's just free money to us. It doesn't matter that we're probably taking a slight loss on all of the things that we're unloading here. And also it's the added fact that truly they're probably going to change the name of the school in the next year to 18 months. And we like wouldn't have any – then it would be utterly worthless. Then it would just be uh, like weird collector's item stuff. And it's not the sort of things that anyone wants to collect. So, Did you uh, – manage- my friend – did you manage to sell all the stuff? Yeah, they were they were, they were in high demand at the wow. price to move price. Look we only that. have a couple of sweatshirts left. We made uh, a big a nice chunk of change, not quite four figures, but we made a, a few oh, hundred dollars. Look at that big money. Yeah, good good day. Anyway, uh, Bob, was Bob, Bob was tired. Bob was tired. He's like, ah, I gotta talk again. I mean, <laughs> he was talking all day, and that turns People out really to be like tiring. to chat, Abe, <laughs> and like. Not just the strangers, but just Says like the, the guy person with a sh- podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they like to talk about fucking bullshit, right. Abe. He's not uh, talk. He's not chatting. He's talking at us. That's right. right. We're yeah, not slightly. Yeah. This is you weren't able to do is, that. Uh, you had to listen. No, you had to let fucking them yell talk and hold forth in conversation. I had to listen to the other people and then ask them questions about the things that they said. This like, is completely sucks. different. Does than that this sound? Sort of thing does that, that, we that do sounds here. a little, a little bit like what I do? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I, and and would maybe like to do less. I think Lori is of the opinion that I don't fully appreciate how difficult it is to stand around and talk to people all day while also performing a task or job for which you get paid. And I am fully appreciative of that fact and just don't want to have to do it myself, especially when there's not any money coming at it so, for uh, me. So speaking of that, actually, Bob is now like the communications director of what? the PTO, Wow, which does not stand for paid time off. It stands for parent-teacher organization. And he spent an hour something writing, like, the website. Like, he took more longer than an hour to do the whole thing. But the writing part spent, like, an hour or so making the words on the page. Nice. And and he did it for free because he's volunteering. Yes. Yeah. But a lot of people liked it. Oh, and, and I point that out only because... Like that's someone's job. 
Yeah, that's true. There are people who get paid to do the sort of thing that I did for the PTO. But uh, I did it out of, uh, you know, for the love of the game, uh, which is the only way that I can motivate myself is uh, purely for the love of the game and not for the paycheck at the end of the day. Are you saying that clearly, clearly, if if there was a paycheck involved, like the quality would uh, somehow fall apart, like you would still put out a good product? I mean, why risk it? Why risk it? (laughs) (laughs) Your wife is going to kill you. Probably because of uh, divorce. Divorce. <laughs> Looming divorce is why you risk it. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, it was good. And uh, yeah, there was indeed a great deal of positive feedback. It's very uncomfortable for me, though, uh, to get that sort of positive feedback. So like, I thought you'd get used to it. I tried to avoid, like, I didn't sign the stupid. E- like, we're talking about, I don't know, an 800 word email or something. Like, this is. And I and the the feedback was like this is the greatest PTO email that's ever gone out. This is a work of comedic genius, which I'm only saying because it really wasn't that. Like it's like my typical the way that I would write up the fantasy football updates every right. week. Like, but those are fun you, with to less read. with less. But you with, know, yeah, for, with, for kids. Yeah, not no cock and ball jokes or anything like that but 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 still you know you you try to deliver the information and with every bit of important information there's like a paragraph of information just try to get a a little uh, one line in edgewise that makes you uh, giggle a little bit that's that's all i was doing here it wasn't uh keep that reader engaged very thoughtful exact thank you Anyway, I apparently have the same skill. So yeah, Lori wrote an email to my aunt and got back an uh, effusive oh. reply. It's like, this is the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. It's <laughs> not even funny. People, and it wasn't. She sent it to me. It was a fine email, but it wasn't like, like I may, I will admit that I have this problem. Like when I'm just talking to you and we're having a conversation, I'm hearing everything that you're saying, but I'm so accustomed to to you and like your whole idiom and the way that you present Cadence. that it's, yes. it's right. It's hard for you to really get me to lose my shit anymore. <laughs> like where I just like burst out laughing. Like I laugh at you. I'm not saying that I don't, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very rarely 20 years into this friendship. The same yeah. with like, you know, Lori knows my fucking bullshit. Like I can't make Lori really laugh. Except, no, you're not funny right, most of the time. By accident every now and then. You and do. Like, you do when you're being funny. It's just rare. Right. Because you're, you know. But then I listen to us and I, li- so I listen to you talk on the podcast, like back to it. Yeah. And I laugh more at you then oh. than I do. Did you laugh more at me in my email than in real life? No, that's what I'm saying is like I'd be tempted to like crack a smile or almost giggle reading the email that Lori sent. Except it wasn't funny. Right. I mean, but it's just the way that she is. So it's not like weird to me. Like, okay, there's an email from Lori. She is well represented on the page. Yeah, I just write like I talk. Right. That's Lori's voice. I am in love with this person for my entire adult life. So, yeah, I appreciate it. But it's not I'm not sitting here fucking guffawing. Right. There's no there's not a lot of surprise here as far as that stuff goes. Twenty years in. Twenty fucking years in, Lori. Jesus. Well, don't be so old. It's yeah. always uh, refreshing when you do re- – it didn't necessarily have to be funny, but like the low effort that goes with emails, maybe it's just my line of work. People just don't – they're like, yeah, here's this thing. They'll just forward somebody else's email like this. Like they won't even like – I think people are st- – 
starved for anything that resembles coherent and competent communication that obviously some amount of effort was put into, right? Like, I think that we so regularly with the fucking constant texting that we fire off without thinking and the emails full of fucking typos and bullshit and, like, no... No connection whatsoever from the first sentence to the last sentence. Yeah. Like these are thoughts that are as disparate as right. the different sides of the world. Right. And they are in one email. And I am supposed to do all of the work here to figure out what the <laughs> fuck this person is talking about? What are you talking about? Uh, this is about Little League Baseball. And I have no idea what's happening from word one to word right. 40. Right. And uh, somebody gets an email that's like, oh, man, a little bit of thought went into this about the stupid coffee with the principal meeting that's happening on Friday. Right. And they think it's fucking amazing. Right. No, you'll, you'll often uh, have people just – the information is not right. Like, and I, like it, it gets in a, in a work context. Like I, you know, we talked about something in a meeting and then somebody like regurgitates the information from that meeting in email form and it's just like that's not quite – it, you know, you don't have all the information, like maybe right. you want to have a second go at it. But like, yeah, it stands out when somebody puts just even a little bit thought into an email. It's right. Like, oh, and they will grow, they will grow extremely tired of me uh, by the end of the semester <laughs> or the or the year. Of e- uh, yeah. Here's another email from the PTO with personality. Just what I wanted to read with my breakfast this morning. Like, yeah, the first one's fun, but the 40th one, uh I think we can. We can because just you're skim not this actually one. funny. That's well, things that are actually funny. You can watch the same scene over and over again, and it's funny every time. I don't know why you're so opposed to the idea that I'm funny. It's it's very frustrating to me personally, <laughs> as someone who uh, is greatly amused by himself. That's why. Uh, <laughs> Abe, did you want to riff at all on this uh, asshole psychologist who discovered that if you have uh, <laughs> limited emotional range, it's probably because you're smart? So, you know, uh, on, on the surface, like, it, it, it kind of makes sense in a way. Like, you would imagine that somebody who's intelligent in one realm, it translates in another. Like, oh, I'm not going to get all in a bother because I've thought about it. I'm a learned person and blah, 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 all this bullshit. But, like, I've noticed that intelligence, like, is like a fair weather thing. Like in ideal circumstances, like you can tap into your intelligence and it's like, look at me, I'm pretty smart. But when you put people in some distress, it's not always the case that people will take that capacity in one realm again and apply it in a different realm, right? Like people- So in the- in terms of so, in the context of this study, and of course there'll be a link in the show notes to this stupid article about it, and I'm, I make no promises about how well the article represents the actual uh, underlying study because I did not read the study, so uh, you take the whole thing with a grain of salt, obviously. But what you're saying about uh, a, a stressful situation uh, means that a lot of times the uh, all that planning and intelligence might go out the window a little bit. Yeah. That is because in a stressful situation, people's emotional range comes into play, right? right. If you were – so what I'm saying is you might be reinforcing the point of the study actually in, in what you're saying here, which is that if you put people in highly stressful situations when you need intelligence in order to puzzle your way out of those situations, who do you want in the heat of the moment there? Do you the want someone – pure instinct. That's what I want. Do you want someone with a, a 
beholden to their uh, wide emotional range who's no, suddenly instinct. going to be flying off the handle who... and they're scared and worried and or nervous or, or angry? Or do you want someone who's just going to uh, be able to put all of that stuff aside and, and allow their emotion, like recognize that their emotions are there and they're sort of on a simmer uh, and then apply their uh, intelligence to solving well, the problem? Well, let me ask you a question. Is there... Because my, my answer is that there isn't, but is there? I'm going to ask you, Bob. Is there a relationship between intelligence and temperament, right? Because like you want somebody who's well tempered to deal with stressful situations, right? Like, that, and that doesn't necessarily correspond to intelligence, right? Like, the more even kill you are, the smarter you are, right? There's no relationship between the two, right? So, like, if somebody who is like they rattle, I think I dis, I think I disagree with that. I so think look that at, uh, at least I mean I I don't I wouldn't know how to research that, but I do think that my opinion of someone's ability to handle a given stressful situation relates to like I would equate that with a sort of intelligence that is consequential or, or that that matters, right? Right. That I don't want somebody who's flying off the handle or can't handle uh, a suddenly stressful situation to I, I, I wouldn't expect them to perform in a superior way in other situations that I might equate with intelligence. I think right. Is what but I'm OK, so in, in, in this study, they, I mean, this is a very limited study because basically they kind of looked at SAT and ACT scores at these hand, like a school here or there, like with 18 year old kids. And they had them go through a series of like, I guess emotionally responsive kind of images or whatever and they, they responded a certain way but like if you had someone's act score or sat score absent any other information could you say that because this person is in the top 10 percentile of sat scores they're more likely to behave well in a stress like stressful environment like would they like you think that there's a relationship there because i don't know if you can Probably because most SAT and ACT tests are taken under stressful conditions, right? I mean, that's got to be part of the equation there, that nobody walks in to take their SATs feeling completely calm and at ease with the world, right? Like, even if you are confident that you're going to do just fine, it's still a nerve-wracking and stress-inducing situation. Right, but like... So, so it, like, it wouldn't you... surprise me that, 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 there, that there's a correlation there. Right, but... Th okay, so that's one type of stress, like stress born out of the test that you're taking i'm talking about relating with other people there's you're in a stressful environment you're like on the road and somebody cuts you off somebody says something that you don't like like people flip off i mean like a good example not to tie this up to politics but like uh governor DeSantis, like on paper ideal situations very smart guy right like he's top of the class coming up from college and on, like, very smart person, but he rattles. Like, he's an easy-to-rattle person, right? Like, so, like, he can't take that intelligence where, like, in a very pristine classroom, take a test and do well and get into law school, right, and become a jag. Uh, right. And maybe it's my own personal definition of what intelligence is, but when I see him in a press conference, he doesn't strike me as particularly intelligent. Right, because he's, he's <laughs> like, oh, my God, these people are like, they don't like me because I'm kind of being a dick. And, like, it's kind of hard to, like, relate. You know, like, or, you know, other people, they're able to deal well in those situations. And they also happen to be smart. I don't know if those – I think there's there seems to be different strains of intelligence and one doesn't necessarily connect to another. Not always. Like you can't say yeah, because sure. you're good here, you're good there. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just the results of this study are among the least surprising. Like just right. the headline alone, like it's just 
seems incredibly intuitive to me that like someone who is able to regulate their emotions is more likely to be an intelligent person because it requires that sort of sort of psychological distance from yourself. And it, it doesn't surprise me that that correlates with intelligence the way that we measure it. I, maybe that's a problem with the way that we measure intelligence or, or whatever, uh, but I don't know. You know, uh, for whatever reason, when, when you shared that, uh, that story, uh, the first thing that flashed to my mind was like, oh, yeah, like babies are – they're always crying cause, and they don't know why. Like they don't have the capacity to like I soiled myself or I'm hungry. Like it's like, ah, I don't know, something's wrong and I'm going to cry. Like they don't, there's no way around – Something is happening. I don't. I don't know what it is. So I'm like, I don't think that's what they were testing. But like, like right. if somebody's just like, I'm feeling a certain way and I'm frustrated because I can't connect the dots. Like this is why I'm feeling this way and I can't regulate my emotions. Like is as an in, a, in an adult form. Basically, they're like the baby turned into an adult, but they still haven't learned the lessons as to like these things happen and you can react to it a certain way and you don't have to freak out every time it happens because you can anticipate it. You know. Right. You go to babies. I always, for some reason, go to like stupid monkeys or just like, like whenever whenever I read these psychological stupid studies. Stupid monkeys as opposed to. Well, just monkeys, you yeah. know, like, and they're talking about humans. My go-to is like thinking of a monkey and like something, whatever they're doing here to these college students in the lab, yeah. imagining it happening to the stupid fucking monkey in the jungle. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh. Anyway, uh, that's it on that uh, silly story. Uh, quickly, on tonight's Republican debate, presidential primary debate, which we are not watching and Donald Trump is not attending. Instead, there is – I suppose there's like a live – I don't know if – I don't think he's doing the interview live. I think he taped the interview a few days ago with Tucker. But they're, they're going to they're gonna broad, broadcast it. It's on like Twitter or whatever the hell it's right. called. Uh, like – this is like a pre-tape thing that they're going to show like right whenever the debate starts as a, as a counter-programming effort. Right. So I guess Tucker, if we go to Tucker's Twitter right now, which I will pull it up just to see if it's happened yet. Yeah. So 13 minutes ago, it looks like Tucker posted yeah, a 46-minute long interview that he conducted with Donald Trump. So uh, just before the debate started – uh, that was the counter-programming that Trump decided to do. Further, he's going to uh, get himself arrested tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he's coming so. in my neck of the woods tomorrow on – well, on Thursday, whenever you guys listen to this. But uh, it is weird. Like he is not showing up to the debate, the first debate. And it kind of – you know, like we're in the middle of the NFL preseason and, you know – Depending on the the game, like oh the starters are not playing, they're gonna rest and we're gonna play in the third game or something. Like this is like a preseason game without the starters. Like basically the right. main guy is not on. So like I don't know what the ratings will be. Maybe people are starved for just a shit show and so they'll they'll tune in. But like he sucks the air out of the debate by not attending. He has this goofy Tucker Carlson uh, uh, forty whatever minute uh, thing. Running at the same time. I mean, people can just watch that later. And then tomorrow, like, you're thinking, like, if you're, like, some, you know, Vivek guy or the Asa guy or Christy, like, if anybody has, like, a good night, right, he's going to suck all the oxygen tomorrow because, like, the story tomorrow will be like, oh, yeah, the debates were last night. Maybe they'll show a clip or two, but then all the attention then will shift to Fulton County, Georgia, right? Right. And so, like, whatever yeah, bump you can hope be- for. It won't be nine thirty before yeah, there are live shots of the Atlantic. Yeah, but this shouldn't matter. Right. Well, this sure, it, it shouldn't matter. But it is impressive that 
Trump's timing here is sure. it, he's going to be able to draw all of the attention yeah, away from whatever happens tonight. This could also not happen, and the effect tomorrow will be the same. Yes. That, yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't know how many more this they're going to do nothing. these, but, like, uh, a debate in August in the year before the election, I mean, like, yeah, it doesn't mean much other than Isn't that. It like, it, it's at least, like, one a month, I think, they're planning on doing. Yeah, they're going to be doing a bunch. I don't know what the, the idea is, because, like I said, the whole thing will be, I mean, again, we're not watching it, but, like, I assume they're just going to be piling on like this is an unenviable position for the sentence because like he's going to be you're the number one guy on on the stage right so like all the intention will then be on him and again he rattles easy so like you would think that he's not gonna do too well so this is trump effectively running as an incumbent right i mean that's yes. why he's not doing the debates he said it's not just this one i don't i believe he plans on not attending any of the uh primary debates yeah there's literally and no has, upside right yeah right there's no upside to it besides the sport, I guess, of going up there. And also, and, yeah, he does. Yeah, that's true. It and is deciding weird, though, that, uh, I, I don't know if it's like each time this happened, but this is the fourth indictment, right? Like his lead has grown, right? It hasn't shrunk. It's gone the other way, right? So like, yeah, why would you bother showing up to this debate, giving them some legitimacy by attending this? What is it going to be nine people or are they going to keep it at eight? Like if he showed up, they were going to bump like the, the, the Dakota guy. Like, what was the point of elevating these other people on the stage? It looks like who's vying for the Veep spot, right? Like you can almost kind of repurpose it as this is the Veep sweepstakes, and like so, Trump who could've... up there? Who up there would take it? So, do you think Nikki Haley would take it? Haley would I'm not not take it. Uh, probably like why? Why not? Because I think she she's made a couple of pointed barbs at him. I think that she's trying to distance. Like that's I, never that never mattered before. I don't think why Nikki, would that I don't think Nikki matter? Haley would take it. I think that she would rather watch him lose in 24 and come back in 28 because she's still young enough to do that. Uh, I I don't think that Tim Scott would take it either. Uh, I, I'm but thinking it him, but you're right. I think he won't. But like that would be the most logical second, per, you know, like a calm, nice guy, you know, like, like kind of like the Pence role, you know, like, oh, this guy's into all that nonsense. Like he's a decent right. guy or at least he's portrayed in that way. And so, but yeah, I don't know if he would accept, although you would think who would turn down a vice presidential spot. I mean, who would turn down the opportunity to get your ass kicked uh, against a senile 81-year-old incumbent Democrat (laughs) president in Joe Biden? Like, I don't know why you would put yourself up for it. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy certainly would accept. Uh, Asa Hutchinson would not, and nor would he be asked. Chris Christie would not, nor would he be asked. The North Dakota guy would not. And I don't expect there's not any reason to invite the Dakota guy <laughs> to yeah. be your uh, <laughs> vice presidential running mate. Like Vivek would make sense, but like, uh, there's, like again, like there's no way Trump would allow that lawn sign to have like Vivek, mm-hmm. and then like cause he, I guess he could do Vivek instead of like his last name, but like there's no way he would have like, the, the 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 yard sign would just look weird to have that. Like I think like Trump is at that level of like decision making. Like he would not have that. Just too many letters. We can't right. have that many letters on the on the yard yeah. sign. You know, so back in the back in the day, like thirty years ago, there was uh, in, in the world of uh, pro wrestling, there was uh, you know Hulk Hogan and uh, Macho Man, right? They had this tag team. They were the the mega powers, right? There were these oh these two big personalities. Very, very creative name there, they, they naming came guys together. Yeah, mega powers. The logical thing is a Trump DeSantis mega powers tag team thing, right? But like I don't know if. If DeSantis eats a lot of shit, uh, I don't know if he's going to be like, well, I'm just going to just 
lay low and try again in 28. Like, I don't know, like, what, hitch his wagons to a Trump thing? Yeah, right? I, I mean, I think that he's done enough to, at this point, that he wouldn't be able to accept an, an invitation from Trump, nor at this point could Trump plausibly make the offer, I don't think, based on all of the things that he said about him. Right. Uh, similar to like, and we haven't even said Pence yet, but like he couldn't invite Pence to be <laughs> his vice president again, right? I mean, but you'd yeah. love to see. I would love to be in that room. They, they, they you know, I don't know uh, who's. I think it's Brett Bear and like uh, somebody else that's doing the 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 moderating. Uh, but they should like when they whenever they ask these questions, the opening question for for Pence will be like, "Why are you here? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what is the, the, the this thing? It's not going to work out for you. Like, just fuck up." As I go around the country talking to the American people. <laughs> This fucking guy. Um, is it possible to imagine a scenario in which these debates do not take place? I think that we, we can all agree that they should not be taking place, that there's no good reason for them whatsoever, that a best-case scenario is that we should have a few of them in January or February uh, ahead of the first the, – the Iowa caucus but and the first primaries. Like very early in January, right? So you – the problem is like the holiday. Uh, you don't like, even, yeah, you don't even have to do it before Iowa. Just do it before Super Tuesday. Okay. Right? Uh, March 5th, I think, is what it's going to be this year. As long as you got two or three debates in before the first Tuesday in March, before tw- yeah. whatever it is, 13 or 15 states are, are all going to vote on the same day. Uh, that would be enough, certainly. We're not accomplishing anything here. Uh, we don't know enough about who is a viable candidate or who is not. Trump looks incredibly strong right now with the 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 margin obviously like 52 to yeah uh, some would some would say that it it does seem I mean I think I've said this about both Biden and Trump which is it's impossible to imagine a scenario in which they are not the nominees and it's impossible yes. to imagine a scenario in which they are both the <laughs> nominees it is like, bizarre, it's, isn't it? it's like, fucking unthinkable <laughs> it, uh, it is a very strange thing you're, you're right actually somebody did say that no no candidate has had this this much of a lead and lost it like you know there was like with uh hillary right, but the and point obama about the 52 percent the is that this is an this is an incumbent president, effectively, yeah. at least in the way that he thinks of himself and the way that the base thinks of him. So, is fifty percent of the Republican base actually an insurmountable lead for someone who is supposed to still be the face of the party, who is, uh, according to some lunatics in Congress, the R POTUS, like the, the, still the real POTUS? And I think the answer is. Obviously, no, it's not actually that strong of a hold on the Republican base. Now, yeah, it's a, it, it is a, on the base that he has, it is unshakable, right? right? But his ceiling ain't much higher than that with people who are engaged. The problem, of course, is that a lot of people aren't engaged and they just show up on election day, the second Tuesday or the first Tuesday after the second Monday of November. First Tuesday after the first Monday. Whatever. And they say, there's the Republican, that's who I'm going to vote for, and they have only a passing relationship with the actual news. Um, I, I I think that though it looks like an insurmountable, and it might well be an insurmountable lead, it's not actually the iron grip 
on a significant portion of Republicans or, or as significant a portion of Republicans as it needs to be to even give him a chance next November. Right. Uh, so, so on one hand, you are you're right. You're thinking like his posture is that he never really lost and, and this is like an incumbency campaign. But on the other hand, like this is within – this is after four criminal indictments and I know that it hasn't hurt him like – but. That's why it's, he doesn't have this larger lead. Like, I mean, a lot of people are just like put off by that. And also, it's not like people are open to changing their minds, right? It seems like people are, that are for Trump are pretty much locked in, right? So it's, it's not, so it's not like it's going to move in the other way. Like, it's, it's it's grown his lead, and everyone else has has shrunk. Basically, he is taking votes away from DeSantis, and other people are gaining from DeSantis, but nobody's actually gaining from Trump voters. Like. None of the Trump people have peeled off to go right. for Asa or some other person. Well, the only the only reason that I think it might be worth having these debates, and I, I asked two questions the last time I started, so I'll, I'll try to ask just the one question this time, which is, is there any way we can imagine these next eight months of debates or, or whatever the number is before March uh, not taking place? And it's uh, because all of the incentives are there for the Fox, the Foxes and the CNNs and whoever else runs these debates between now and then, uh, to have them where they – whatever the bump is tonight, it's going to be more than the 3 million people that usually tune right. in at 8 o'clock on a Wednesday, right? So even if it's only like 7 million people or something along those lines. You think double digits, like 10? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have no idea what to expect. I didn't go back and look at what the 2016 debates were bringing in or what the 2020 Democratic debates were bringing in. But I imagine whatever it is, it's going to be a bigger number than they usually yeah, than get. The, yeah. So all of the incentives are there for these things to keep taking place, even though they have seemingly absolutely no value. And here's where I will argue with myself and say that if we can find one small piece of value in starting these things now uh, before Labor Day, it's that – and especially with Trump not participating, right? So with, with Trump being – the elephant in the room, but not actually in the room, we might be in a situation where we can weed out a number of these candidates before we even get close to primary season, leaving us with just one or two viable candidates going into the first big votes, right? So Iowa doesn't really mean anything. New Hampshire means maybe a little bit more than Iowa, but not a whole lot. But by the time we get to Super Tuesday, if we could be down to just Trump and an opponent, right. then there's a plausible path to somehow hanging around long enough to stopping him from being the nominee. Not a great path. Not a, not a, not a, I wouldn't bet on it. But what I know for certain is that if we get to Super Tuesday and there's still 10 people on the ballot, that there's absolutely no way that that anyone besides Trump uh, can win the nomination. I, I do wonder if uh, the, both political parties will take lessons from what happened in 2020 because basically like there were a bunch of moderate candidates in the Democratic Party. There were a couple of like progressives, like mostly Bernie Sanders. And so like all of the votes were kind of being – they were spread around. And so like there was – I think it was before Super Tuesday, the, like you know the – Amy Klobuchar and some of the other moderate candidates got out of the way so that they can lend their support behind one of the moderates, Biden, right? And so, and, the, and that put them over the top. I wonder if, like you say, you want to whittle it down to where if there is a path to victory, it is this way. Because if you do it the other way where too many candidates are, are taking away votes from one another, 
then a, a Trump solid 30, 40, 45% is never going to lose, right? So, there, right? so like if there is a path to an alternative to Trump, it would have to work out to where like right now, this is a good, the, the next few debates should be just be like raising profiles of the unknown, right? That's the only upside, right? Like there's no real upside to DeSantis or but Trump. But that's why it's stupid because they should not debate. They should they, what do you call it when people get together and work together? They should not debate. They should decide amongst themselves. Oh, I see. It should be like a round table discussion of who of who of us. I mean that, uh, but it, they, but they're they're going to probably think like it should be everybody. But they say. shouldn't debate. It shouldn't be pretend fighting. It's bad. Right. I mean, if they could keep the word Trump out of their mouths and instead, I mean, this is an impossible ask, obviously. I don't know what's going on over there right. at on Fox right now, but I assume that they're talking about Trump. Maybe they like purposefully started by not talking about Trump, but they're going to get there. Like there's not I mean, going to the be any getting are around inject it. inject Trump into the discussion no matter what. Even if all the people on stage decided, like they colluded and they say, let's just talk about each other, it's going to be worked in by the moderators. Right. Well, it, you have to present yourself. You have to present a reason for why you belong and, and and why it should be you instead of Trump. And uh, fully half of them up there on the stage tonight seem to just be saying, "Well, but what if Trump dies? Right. Then I could then I could do the the Trump thing, right? Like Vivek uh, is explicitly." Just thumbs upping everything that Trump has ever done, but saying I'm 38 years old, right. uh, which is way better than 80, and so you should choose me. And also, I'm brash and annoying, and and the media won't like me either. So uh, choose me. Uh, I don't know. It's all a pipe dream, probably, because most of these assholes won't drop out, even if they're only polling at two or three percent. Anyway, uh, DeSantis has got a ton of money, and I don't imagine that. Even if he continues to fall the way that he's been falling the last few months, I, I can't see him getting out before the primaries happen. Do you, do you think there is any advantage for either of the political parties or both to structure it in, in that way to where there is actually like mechanisms in place to where if you don't show some promise in the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, let's, like the first like, you know, four before you get to the – the Super Tuesday, then you're at, you're basically like you should. I, I don't know the, the, a way to, to 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 make that happen, but basically something to say that if you don't hit these benchmarks, then you're not a you're no longer viable. The party apparatus does not consider you a viable candidate, right? To to get it to where you have the the two major factions within each party to to battle out on Super Tuesday to kind of give some sort of clear choice to the, the problem. To the, the problem is that you need to have. A Republican Party that acknowledges that there are factions here at all, right? Like the, yeah. in a weird way, Tim, like Tim Scott, would say, "We love Trump. We love everything Trump did. We just it's time to move on from Trump." And I'm nice, and why not me? Basically, right. it seems to be Tim Scott's presentation. Like he is not willing to present himself as an alternative to Trump beyond just the fact that. Maybe Trump is unelectable, like, right. but he won't. He won't even actually say that, really, right? right? So, I mean, uh, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson are perfectly willing to say those things, but they are not viable Republican candidates, right? Yes. Like yeah. uh, Ron DeSantis seems like a weenie is the biggest problem with Ron DeSantis, right. I think, in the eyes of uh, people who who watch him, and like, I don't know. I, I this is a silly conversation to be having anyway, I suppose, but 
because of the the seeming inevitability of of the Trump nomination. It, it is it is bizarre that uh, like and they probably wouldn't ask in any of the debates they should ask them, but they won't. But like. Like the question is like, why are you why are you so deferential to the person that you want people to vote you over? Like you're saying that you're a better alternative to Trump, but you're at, at every given opportunity you're being deferential. You're taking his side. You're carrying his water. Like why why not just get out of the race? Like it doesn't make any sense. Like shouldn't you go for the jugular? Like if you're running against somebody. And he's not like that's the thing. He's not his supporters are not transferable in the way that you would think of normal supporters as being like like there's there's no amount of deference to the Donald Trump thing that if he fucking has a miracle heart attack between now and uh, January, they're going to be like, oh, well, Tim Scott was awfully nice right. about Donald Trump. So I'm going to I'm going to give my vote to Tim that Scott true, because yeah. he was so, he was so, like that, that is, it's not a thing. <laughs> they're just scared to death of the Trump foot coming down on their necks and becoming the 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 focus of his ire and then like then they're completely swept out of the race, right? Like if Donald Trump goes after Tim Scott or goes after any of these people besides the ones who are obviously antagonistic towards him, then th- those people won't stand a chance anymore, right? right? Like there's not enough of uh, a collective anti-Trump thing left in the Republican Party to like coalesce a big response to that uh, behind that individual. It would just be the end of things. Right. And it's also a little too early for them to take – because like they'll, they'll be exposed to attack for the next like five months before like an – actual election takes place in the primary right it's why you have to imagine this primary season as sort of being against an an incumbent president because to the people that matter trump is still the incumbent president but with the advantage of not actually being in charge of anything and being able to throw fucking bombs all the time uh at the at the current administration abe did you know i know that you predicted that the pandemic would be over in 21 uh, Memorial Day? Day? Yes. Was it 2021? Yeah, it was Memorial Day. I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say Memorial Day 22. <laughs> no, come on. Uh, but, no, it was 21. <laughs> Memorial Day 21. It was over yeah. there for a moment. He if, was right-ish. If, if you crop out all back. that Delta nonsense that came after, perfectly predicted. Are you familiar with Morris Brown College? Yes. Uh, it was. Uh, it lost its accreditation for a little while for some, I don't know, some reason, and they, I think, gained it back. Uh, but, yeah, it's like uh, HBCU here in uh, Atlanta. They reinstated their uh, mask mandate. Oh, did you see this in the news well, as you well? Know, I yeah, the, uh, here, you know. This is from their Instagram, which I guess is how Morris Brown College does this sort of thing. Greetings, faculty, staff, and students. Effective immediately, Morris Brown College has reinstated its COVID-19 mask mandate due to reports of positive cases among students in the Atlanta University Center. Over the next 14 days, the following protocols will be in place. 1. Mask wearing. All students and employees are required to wear face masks. Staff may remove in their offices while alone. 2. Physical distancing. Students must maintain physical distancing. 3. Large gatherings. Institutional guidelines for gathering sizes must be followed. There will be no parties or large student events on campus for the next two weeks. 4. Isolation and quarantine. Students must adhere to institutional policies and CDC guidelines for isolation and quarantine. 
17.5, contact tracing. Compliance with college-initiated contact tracing efforts is expected. Six, symptom monitoring. Students and employees are obligated to undergo temperature checks upon campus arrival. We're back to temperature checks. And number seven, regular hand-washing sanitization. Frequent hand-washing is expected from all students and employees. Uh, Abe... Is this hypochondriacal nonsense, or is this uh, a rare administration meeting the moment uh, and and jumping in front of the crisis before it gets worse? The uh, the, the local reporting on this, uh, the at least one of the channels I was watching, uh, the, the reporter ended it with, uh, no other school has thus far followed suit. Like, it, I don't know right. that was necessary to throw that in there but like uh, it seems like this is a uh, they stand alone so far there had been apparently like an uptake of cases there was actually somebody like at work that got that, that got something like um and it didn't spread like there was nobody else that was around them that got it like it was this weird thing like oh it's like i got covid and then everybody else kind of tested and everybody else was fine like so like maybe there right. is something making the rounds but like this is a two-week plan that is going to probably have a – I don't know how Morris College is, how, how strictly they're going to enforce this. But usually these policies, even during the peak pandemic down here in, in Atlanta, the enforcement was very minimal. Like nobody was really doing anything. Even, again, during the peak of it, uh, people weren't following the protocol. So I don't know how how this is going to actually shake out. But I, I seem to – It would be one thing if these seven – Steps, protocols, whatever, were different. Like if they had learned something right. from the last time around, but like temperature checks upon campus, or like they're they're doing the the temperature swiping thing that we were doing back yeah. in 2020 again, which w- was proved largely to be nonsense. Right. That they're they're doing the the masking, which was proven largely to, I mean. In, in again, like in a lab, in a perfect setting, yes, masking is good and effective, and probably reduces the spread. Uh, but they're gonna, like, I'm sorry, but the college kids on the Morris Brown campus there are not going to be on top of uh, their N95s all of the time, and uh, it just seems insane to me. And I have seen over the last few weeks, people mostly on social media, like a, a couple different times, I would click on a, a trending topic that was like COVID is back or, or COVID is still here or something along those lines. Right. And there are uh, what seem to be like actually mentally unwell people oh, still yeah. talking about. Like talking about the way that COVID is still here, right. and what the fuck is wrong with all of you people going people about your lives? People have COVID again, like right. a bunch of no, people. No, no, people have COVID, but like, I'm not denying that there is there has been a spike, and some communities have it slightly That's worse what it than others. Sounds like you're doing. Are, no, I'm not denying the reality that. But also, by the way, a spike in relative terms is not a spike uh, relative to other actual spikes that we've seen before. It's just that after the last nine months of a consistent downward yeah. trend from a from a very high number down to where we are now, and then we had weeks and weeks and weeks where it was pretty steady, uh, There's there's been a couple of little humps uh, over the last uh, month or so. Flu season two. It's just time for everyone to get sick again. Yeah, no doubt. It's just I, I don't know why... Like who in their right minds thinks running back the same playbook from right. last time is going to have any impact whatsoever? 
it just seems kind of silly to I, me. I, I do wonder if they are placating some very small group that's very vocal at their. I, I don't again. I don't know. Like. I don't know why Morris College and or Morris Brown. Like I don't know why it could have been any of the other schools. Like I don't know why that school is the one that did it. But like maybe there's some people in in there that like made a big stink, like in some email chain saying this is irresponsible. You know we should be doing something, and they just kind of like caved to that and like I oh, yeah. want to do a two well, week thing so you can shut up, and so they did the the doing something crowd. Yeah, uh, but it gives you the appearance of. Like you're taking precautions, even like you're, you're saying, like even if some of the, these recommendations turned out to be not that effective, uh, and, and the low compliance is not going to help things either. But like just to say, like, hey, we're doing a thing, just to point to and say, like, we we're trying to be responsible. When I see somebody in a mask now, my assumption is that they have COVID. That's where I am with the masking stuff like that because to me like i'm not going to put a mask back on unless i've tested positive and then as a courtesy to people around me if i needed to be or out if you have a cold sure if i yeah or if i have a cold like yeah i could conceivably imagine where if i come down with the flu but still need to go out to the grocery store or something i would put on a mask maybe uh but I'm only doing that, like, and that is my—that's what I'm saying. My assumption now is that if somebody is out in public wearing a mask, my assumption is that this person is doing that because they have COVID or recently had COVID and are still within that window that the CDC says uh, it would be nice if you kept a mask on uh, for four more days or what have you. Right. I, uh, I, th- that is a reasonable assumption. I do suspect, though, that they're in that in that population of of, of still mask wearers or people that are very like overly cautious at least in this regard yeah like julia right so it's like i don't i don't want to get this like you know like if i'm in like in a crowded place why am i taking chances when i could just put on this thing that's not that big of a deal to me yeah or like before we go to your brother's wedding i'll probably wear one for a couple weeks just because i don't want to be sick when i go to that yeah well the problem is that the the spreader event is the wedding it's not the couple of weeks no, no, beforehand I, but no and then at the wedding, I'm just like, okay, hopefully I won't get sick. And then if I start to feel sick after, I'll wear one, obviously. But, like, there is a, a slight more protection when you have a mask on and when you got a big thing coming up and there's colds going around. Like, it just – it's not that weird. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about Hawaii yet and the uh, wildfires there. Oh yeah, that's it's right. too sad. It is a bummer. There's not a lot of fun to be made. By the out way, of what happened be, down there? The whole planet seems to be on fire. Okay, so there's that fire in Canada that I had nothing to do with, right? There was this Hawaii fire. There was a fire in Greece somewhere. There's a fire seem, seemingly yeah. everywhere. There's like a, I don't know what's going on with these fires. There's a fire everywhere. It's a, it's a good time for Abe with all of these fires burning all over the place. <laughs> Nothing to do and with any of them. As I know, I'm not, I'm not even trying to suggest that you had anything to do with them. I'm just saying you are a man who appreciates a good fire. Also, and did I hear right? The Hawaii fire, which sounds, I mean, terrible. I mean, the pictures, the images out of where this happened, I don't know how people could survive that other than just jumping into the water. But, like, did I hear right that a hurricane winds gave like a hockey assist to this fire like basically there was a hurricane far off the coast it's, of hawaii it, and yeah, those winds probably did a thing 
to help yeah, they with were, the fire. Uh, very, very uh, high winds is what helped push this thing along. Uh, I don't have a lot to add to this. We we were there uh, back in 2009. That was when we went that to Hawaii back the... then. Yeah, yeah really? Like right there. No kidding. That's uh, the part. It's so sad. Oh, we wow. Went, I did not we, know that. We stayed a week in Lahaina. Uh, it wasn't. It's where you go when you go to Maui. It's like. Yeah, it's one of the places that you can go there. kind of two places, and that's one of them. So um, this is not a hidden gem location. This is a known place that people. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's tourism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it, it was beautiful and all of that. I, in fact, I saw some, one of the videos where you clicking around online and somebody had posted a, a video of front, like from front street is one of the main drags through this area there. And they were at a, they were at a brew pub that Lori and Chris and I actually visited when we were wow. uh, down there. So that's, well, that was like walking distance from the apartment right so yeah it's uh, that's the personal connection there uh, obviously it's a horrible bummer i i did want to briefly mention the emergency management guy down there who has since resigned oh he fell on the sword uh, right even though like he didn't I, I guess it was the protocol that they had they followed kind of because of the i guess he'll explain but Right. So there was they have these sirens, right? Because uh, first of all, apparently on in this part of Maui, uh, cell phone coverage isn't great even under ideal conditions. Like it's everything is sort of far and spread out, right? And it's not always easy to get the emergency management updates uh, via text message or via phone call or email or whatever it is. And so they have an alternative system in place which is this siren system and they test it once a month or so apparently and the sirens are largely in working order and uh officially the sirens are there just to be like hey fucking watch out because some shit's happening right like that's what the sirens are for like hey everybody pay attention uh but apparently in practice the way that most hawaiians down there understand it is that the si- the siren means Look out for a tsunami. Yes. Now, they're not explicitly tsunami sirens. They're just emergency sirens. So, like, be aware. But uh, the, the way that most of the people down there think of them is, well, the emergency that we're worried about is a fucking tsunami. Right. And so the, the psychology at play there is when the sirens go in a non-training or non-testing situation, get away from the beach, right? Head inland. Higher head, ground. Head, Right, head to higher ground. And uh, in this case, doing that in that moment would have resulted in you heading towards disaster, right? right? Because the that's where the fire was. And instead, what you wanted to do in order to survive was, A, to get the fuck out of there. But alternatively, if getting the fuck out of there was no longer an option, get to the beach, right? Because there's a – first of all, there's a natural fire break. Uh, where there is sand, right? There's not a lot left to burn there. Just the fact of the beach is itself something of a fire break. And then also, worst case scenario, if there's just a bunch of brush there where the water is coming up to the land, you can just jump in the water because the fire isn't going to be able to... Now, it's still not safe if the fire is burning, right? There's still smoke and ash and these high winds, and it's very, very dangerous, obviously. But you have a chance to survive... If you get yeah. right, a much better chance to sur- survive if you jumped in the water. And uh, many, many hundreds of people, based on the just on the videos that I've seen, uh, survived by doing just that. 
Now, uh, what I've just uh, said there about the, the the sirens is the rationale or the the rationalization, perhaps that the emergency management guy gave at a press conference in which he was being like accosted by a CBS news reporter, a uh, guy who's very annoying to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the guy I don't like? Uh, yeah, the guy that we oh, don't yeah. like. Uh, he sucked. Very aggressive in the way that he has it been talking to people. It's like Kamala Harris-style combative. Right. They were just like, like yeah. can't yeah. Just, say, just can't just say, why not this? It's like, Joe, why not? Right. Yeah, and they're like tacking on stuff to the question so that there isn't like the opportunity to respond like you know they're like a lot of people feel like you fucked up what say you you dumb fuck what say you I'm like oh I'm the next guy I'm trying to tell you anyway uh, that guy's uh, bothersome way of doing his job aside it's a valid question why didn't the emergency sirens go off when there was an emergency and the rationalization or the rationale given by the state FEMA guy is I felt that if I hit that button for those sirens, then people would have rushed to higher ground. They would have been running into the flames or running into – they're not that stupid. But they'd be running but, yeah, into right. more dangerous territory than otherwise. And obviously, uh, looking at what's happened here, it's it seems like he was wrong to not hit the button ultimately, right? Because, but no one has I come mean, out it, and said – he was wrong in his thinking, right? People said that, yeah, that most people associate that sound with the tsunami warning, right? Right. So, but in so in the abstract, I think that that's one hundred percent correct. That it was like in an, in an academic sort of way, with that sort of remove, like he understands the psychology at play here better than I do, obviously. But also, that psychology doesn't seem to be in dispute. Like uh, all of the people that you talk to about the having heard the sirens before they all say yeah we 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 associate it with a tsunami issue um so in the in an academic sense i think he was right the problem is that apparently on the ground that emergency siren would have kicked people into gear in a way that they like they everybody already knew that something was going on or at least the ones who did but they weren't in like fucking let's fucking roll mode they were still in uh, we're orderly uh, buying things at the grocery store because we know that we might be out of power for the next 48 hours or something like that, right? And so uh, the, this concern that they're going to go running into the fire uh, is probably less the case, uh, less of a thing to actually be worried about when half the fucking island is on fire, right? Because people uh, aren't that stupid, right? Like they see where the smoke is, they see where the fire is, and they run in the other direction from the fire. The point that I'm trying to get at here is that it became such a problem on the ground so quickly yeah. that the more people that knew that it was an emergency yeah. situation and that they needed to get their asses in gear right now would have been better in all likelihood. I don't know how many people died because those sirens didn't go off. I don't know how many people more would have died had the sirens go off. This is this is an utterly unknowable thing. What I know is that both of the following two things are true. I believe that this guy made a difficult decision in a stressful moment that in the abstract or in an academic sort of sense makes perfect sense that 
uh, relative to the facts on the ground in the neighborhoods where that siren could have been heard and made a difference was still the wrong decision, right? I think that both of those things can be true. And that uh, because both of those things are true, we should be practicing a great deal of sort of human empathy and and not stone throwing at this one asshole who made uh, a decision in the moment that might turn out to have been the wrong one. So is there any chance that the uh, reasonable argument that they uh, presented as to why they didn't sound the alarm uh, is that – it's just a cover for the fact that they just forgot to like you know like is it possible that they in I the- assume not just because I did not hear an immediate rejection and like it wasn't immediately laughed out of the room by people who would know right like it's I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I'm saying like so this is from what I'm gathering this all happened very fast right so like this is what this fire kind of came about rather fast and so like they had the presence of mind to not only know that there is a dire situation going on, but let's not press the button because I know the cultural knowledge of this place and they know that the sound means tsunami warning and that would maybe – I may be sending them in harm's way and so the final calculation is to not do anything. Like it's like in this hide – in this very like – chaotic situation they did all that math and they're like okay the best thing to do is nothing after considering the options like isn't it possible they just forgot and after the fact they're like you know what right that wouldn't work anyway they were kind of like explaining away why they didn't take the action and they use that as justification uh that's possible that seems doubtful to me i i think that these are people who only have so many tools at their disposal, and so the idea that they wouldn't seriously consider using those tools when the emergency finally happens, uh, it seems a little far-fetched. Like, I don't think he's sitting there in his office playing fucking Minesweeper all day <laughs> and like, oh, well, for, forgot about the emergency sirens. Damn it. Uh, I got to come up with some cover now. Uh, uh, tsunamis. You know, people are scared of tsunamis, not fires. Like, I, I don't, that's, uh, I don't know yeah. how uh, so- sounds work when it comes to these emergency systems. Like, why can't they? I mean, it's, what, 2023? I, I was just reading about these stupid robot cars like on or listening to the podcast the daily about these robot cars in California in San Francisco. So they can't inst- You know what's funny? Yeah. Uh, sorry. I haven't listened to an episode of the daily in 6 months or a year oh, or really? something like like I just I watch them go by yeah. and I'm like ah, I don't care. I, care I don't want to listen yeah, to Barbaro yeah. talk about this. Yeah. I want to listen to Bar- whatever. I was I happened to be getting in the car this morning to drive longer than I usually do. And I looked at it and it's like, oh, robot cars. Yeah. Oh, listen to that. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the first daily that I've listened to in a very long time t- was was that very episode. So, okay. So they can make the, the, the alarm do the normal sound. Like, I don't know how their sounds. But, like, they can't have a, a mechanism where it just says fire like or tsunami. <laughs> or, like, very loud. Like I mean, In that voice, more, too. I think fire. The, uh, <laughs> I mean, you'll have to. Hey guys! <laughs> I think the Fire. more the problem is that over long distances, uh, everything becomes much more sort of uh, syllabically ambiguous. This one's tsunami, <laughs> right? Like.
if everybody had a if they could tap into everybody's Alexa or or Google yeah. Home or what have you, then yeah, they could give that sort of information. But when you're using sort of the like a the church bell system basically, or, or just the like the reason that we use sirens, right. like is because they travel far distances despite like. Because they only contain so much information, right? right? Like it's it's just the that one noise. Uh, I think the more you complicate any sort of communication over long distances, the more likely you are to have uh, failure points along the way. Right, but look at us here. Like, oh my God, everybody just thinks the sound, which is meant for any emergency, is only only means one thing, and I'm not going to press the button because people are going to read it wrong. Like, so there's flaws in, in both systems. Go back the other way. Yeah. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I I don't know why that struck me as important. I just I saw so many people dumping on this guy and and like the fact that he resigned, like I, I sort of understand I don't remember if we talked about this, but there was that train crash in India, I think, a while back. Mm. And many hundreds of people died on this train crash. I think and I remember, the yeah. emergency the emergency management guy like immediately resigned because the train crash happened under his right. less than watchful eye or what have you. Um, and my reaction to that sort of like public accountability yeah. is almost always like, no, 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 no. You've been drawing a paycheck as an emergency management guy for the last nine years. <laughs> and now we have our first emergency and it didn't go great. You know why it didn't go great? Because it was a fucking emergency, <laughs> right? Like, like it's it's all bad news during an emergency, and it's it, it's completely out of your control. Like uh, nobody expects it to have gone perfectly. Uh, you can't. You don't just fucking cut and run now just because the bad thing happened. Like this is when we need his ability right. to. Presumably, right. he's in this job because he can run a team, right. right? Or he has some amount, at least, even if if nothing else, right. he knows where the what the fucking email password is, right? Like he, he knows where the, what, what shit is in what closet right. in the office there. Institutional like knowledge, time- as they call it, yes. Right, institutional knowledge, precisely. Like this is the, not the time right. for the public-facing emergency management. Emerg- I can't say those two words. Uh, emergency management guy to take off. Right. Like I know it's super sad. I imagine it's been very hard for him to sleep. Like it's a fucking horrible thing to imagine that maybe if I had pressed the button, a hundred fewer people would have died. Like, and I don't think we're anywhere near what the total is going to be here, right? Yeah. Like, we, I think they've confirmed 115 or something like that. There's probably a, a few hundred. There's still a thousand plus people missing. Right. I mean, if you're I missing, believe. I mean, and you, I mean, what other, what what else could explain? Other right. Than because Change all the identity. Red Cross, all the Red Cross and FEMA and the other organizations down there are doing now is 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 finding people and getting their names on paper. Right. right? Like that's the whole first part of handling these sorts of emergencies is like paperwork is getting people registered. Like, yeah, give them blanket and a water, but also what's your name so we know that you're alive. So yeah, the farther this goes with a thousand missing people, still the more we can expect that death number to climb closer and closer to the the total of missing. Right, right. Uh, the two numbers eventually counterbalance. Uh, 
it's your responsibility to stay on the job as far as I'm concerned. And then like six months from now, when a successor can be uh, can be leveled up or, or promoted from within or, or brought in from outside, fine. But now is the time that you put yourself back to work. Right. And that, that, I don't know. But, you know, I don't know what that's a reaction to. I know that I've I've long felt that people shouldn't resign in disgrace until after yeah. like unless yeah. it's like like an obvious if, if, if unless it's a situation where they just completely fucked up and or, or like are obviously incompetent right. like they're they're no longer or they or they no longer have the trust yes. of uh the people around them then fine then it's obviously time to go I but i think at, this at that is point, that third category at that point resignation is not acceptable you should be fired uh, by the governor or whoever the hell is in charge down there, right. and 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 somebody else should be appointed. Uh, but but this seemed to me where he's like, I'm resigning because of health issues. The governor allowed him that, right, right. rather than uh, a firing, which means to me that he hadn't necessarily lost the the trust of the institution, and it just seemed like uh, a resigning in disgrace type of situation, right. which yeah. is I, just I, not I, okay. I, I mean. If they if they were doing that just to shirk responsibility, like it's unfortunate. But you you wouldn't want somebody in that state of mind to be in that position, anyways, right? Like if you're just gonna be moping, like get out of here. Uh, I think I mentioned this. <laughs> you gotta be moping. No one wants you're a big, mopey director. You're big on anti-moping the last couple of weeks. Oppenheimer is a bum because he moped. <laughs> I think that is a uh, my trigger. Uh, but like, I, 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 it's likely I made the same point when the the, the Indian derailment happened, as I will make here, uh, which is like. As, you know, setting aside the fact that, yeah, if you're still in the heat of the moment, if you have, if you can contribute, you should do that first, and then you can get your flogging or your resignation done after when the dust settles, right? Uh, but let's say that that's not an issue, right? You something happened under your watch, right? And and it's actually not really your fault, right? But there is this this anger, right? This energy of anger, right? And that energy is dissipated by having. Somebody to point it to say, "Fuck that person," right? And so, like, it serves that. Per- it kind of facilitates this. Like, all right, people are upset because somebody fucked up, or there's the appearance of where somebody fucked up. And this guy comes up with this very logical to me explanation. We would have sent them. In- My actions would have sent them in harm's way. So that's why I didn't do the thing that you wanted me to do. Uh, but like, it it makes the story kind of work better to where like people are angry. Your ex- your justification is still not satisfactory. You got to fall on the sword. I mean, what are you going to do? People want their pound of flesh. You get it. Like, do you don't think that's like a vital function of society? Like, you know. Do you think? Do you think that people actually want their pound of flesh? Yes. Like the, the no the people who matter, like the 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 people on the ground in Hawaii who don't have homes. Like, do you think that they want their pound of flesh, or do you think that is a function of? Uh, uh, an adversarial media, or a, or a, a, a media that is more interested in that sort of a headline than in actually uh, mitigating the awful circumstances that these people find themselves in now. I, I think, and I, my my opinion is that that is the sort of the pound of flesh thing is something that is stirred up by uh, uh, some rabble rousers, and not necessarily just in the media or 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 nor does it always originate in the media, but the media is certainly quick to cover it. And I think that uh, generally speaking, 
people have a more nuanced understanding of the difficulties of that sort of job. And maybe in the immediate aftermath of this sort of situation, they, they don't necessarily want their pound of flesh. They just want their, their water bottle. And they want more information. That is what they really want, right. is they want to know why uh, what happened happened. And uh, so far as we can tell, why what happened happened is because there were institutional failures, not with the emergency management guy, but with the power company, right. where the, some many, a couple of dozens of, of live power lines are, are down all over this island, and the power hasn't been shut off yet. And I don't know how this shit works. Right. I don't know if there's a fucking switch that can be thrown at the power company that like just turns them all off. Uh, but if there is, and it, and it should have been, then that's an interesting conversation that should be had. Like, and, and it, it it it's a weird story. I've seen some maniacs immediately turn to conspiracy yes, thinking around of it, course. and I, and of course you always do. Um, what's the what's the What's the game now? I cu- I couldn't even begin okay. to tell you what the what the f- angle is because the angle is constantly shifting because the assumption is whatever they're telling you is a lie right. in 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 sort of the Tucker mold. Like I I saw some fucking meme on Facebook uh, recently. It says whatever happens next, don't comply. And that was that was the full extent of the right. of the meme. And it's like it's that exact sort of thinking. Where like uh, everything that is happening is a lie, or is designed to control you, or to try to take over in some way, uh, and it, it's just a stupid way of going about right. life. And I think the uh, uh, one of the dumb ideas that I saw floating around was that this is a like this fire was engineered for the for the purpose of like taking land, basically like some WEF, like some World Economic Forum types. That's like prime real estate, and like so, like if there's fire, and some of the people were like, "I don't want to stick around for the recovery," they'll sell it, and then I don't know, I I, I click to something else after. Right. Yeah. Well, like Zuckerberg has his big, huge property down there, right? Like maybe, maybe Zuckerberg, he's got all that money and he doesn't want neighbors. So maybe he, for some, like, why didn't the emergency sirens go off? And why, why did the power company not cut the electricity right. before they should have? Well, it's because they're beholden to the, the wealthy landowners down there who wanted to see the civilization burn uh, so that they could have their bigger piece of the pie. It's absurd. Right. Uh, and this seems like a combination of bad luck and uh, uh, weather conditions and drought conditions and, you know, of course, uh, climate change uh, will be uh, certainly the big boogeyman here. Um, but also this is a fire that started at 630 in the morning and by 9 o'clock was declared uh, taken care of. And then it wasn't until like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Did they that fire it that had... person? I want my pound of flesh again. Like who, who's the person that prematurely called it off? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it, it seems like – like I don't know if it was still cooking like that whole time. Yeah. And then rather suddenly uh, the wind picked up and, and – But even and... a firefighter making it – don't they know the fire is shifty? You can't trust that fire. You got to – Right. Stay on it. Wildfires are a whole different thing. Uh, I was reading another piece in the Times about it is no longer possible to escape what we have done to ourselves by Serge Schmeyman. He is on the editorial board at the Times, and he's reporting from 
uh, Quebec, where he has a cottage. On the drive to our cottage here in June, my wife and I collided with the dense wall of Canadian wildfire smoke. The clear spring air began turning a sickly orange in the Adirondack Mountains. The sun was reduced to a red spot, and by the time we reached Montreal, the skyline was barely visible from across the St. Lawrence River. On that day, June 25th, Montreal had the worst air quality in the world. Up at our lake, we soon learned to track the sheets of smoke online, blah, blah, blah. He goes on to talk about all of the fires in Canada and the extreme weather all over the globe. And he concludes with the following... Uh, Might this cataclysmic summer be the turning point? Here on the lake, things have quieted down and the air is mostly clear. It's still beautiful, the temperatures are mild, and the above-average rainfalls have painted the hills a deep green. Deer are growing fat on plentiful apples. Choke cherries and mountain ash berries are plump and dark red. The chanterelles and saffron milk cap mushrooms are abundant. In the news, other tensions and anxieties are again taking preference precedence over climate change the war in ukraine indictments of a former president tensions with china a new covid variant but it's very hard very hard to look out on the familiar lake and forests the way we used to before the sun was reduced to a murky red dot in an orange sky and an orange pall descended on the children playing on the beach uh a normal person probably wouldn't take very much offense at this uh, op-ed in the New York Times by a, a person on the editorial board. But this asshole <laughs> who's, you know, fucking 50 or 60 or something like yeah. that. Uh, it's never been like this before, right? As I drive to my vacation cottage in fucking Montreal or outside of Montreal on what he describes as our lake. Like... And I know it's an old, silly game to complain about uh, all of the climate activists who show up at the climate conferences in their private jets, and then they and Leonardo DiCaprio shows up in his private jet, and then he flies home in his private jet, and he's emitting some uh, huge. Like, but this to me is just as offensive. Where this person is lamenting the end of something yes. that, first of all, he has no context for whatsoever. Right. Like, yeah, many millions of hectares of Canadian forest have burned this year uh, far more than the average. Right. It's like uh, the the average is two million hectares. And and this year it was 15 million hectares. That's a that's a whole lot of fire burning. But also uh, we don't know what the fuck was going on, really, two hundred fifty thousand years ago when there was a huge glacier over the entire goddamn continent. Right. Like everything that's happening is uh, happening at a scale that. That we can't even possibly conceive of, and I don't know what it is precisely that he wants any of us to do if it doesn't include not driving to our fucking <laughs> private vacation home many hundreds or thousands of miles away from where you normally live. Right. I, I find it uh, odd that because this is something that he wrote. I'm sure they had some editors cleaning it up a little bit, but this is – he framed his argument like he chose to open with this image imagery like basically hey i'm doing this thing like so like i don't know why he would make that choice but like setting that aside like is it okay for someone to make an argument uh, and then there there's evidence of hypocrisy like that itself wouldn't undermine the argument right like the the new york times or the washington post i was just reading a story just recently where there was this guy from Japan, some sort of economist, and he's like, 
let's give the communist system a try because capitalism, look where that took us, right? And and he wrote a book and he made a lot of money in this capitalist system and like he lives, you know, in a nice place. And so some of the detractors were like, hey, you're doing just fine in this failed system, you know? And so like, yes, but like, I the, the argument can I wonder like if it could stand on its own like this person here is making this argument and I do wonder like could it could that stand on its own because on its own like the argument is like you need collective action to fix this problem and I'm drawing attention to the fact that we need to take collective action uh, and it doesn't matter what any one person like myself does right uh, but it seems like does this work like can you get collective action through these these guest essays like is this what's going to turn the tide of like just action like people are going to do more because somebody made this argument i don't know like if this is an effective i don't argument. even know what the like what in the world is like and, and that's why i phrased it the way i did like what am i expected to right. do here if this asshole is insisting that we're not doing enough, but the thing that he's doing is like so demonstrably worse than anything that I could do in terms of my impact on the environment, right? Like, uh, I went to Denver this year. I flew to my brother's bachelor party. It's a sin yeah. in any conceivable understanding of what we should be doing to the planet, right? Like it, but also the fact of the matter is, uh, my entire family is spread out all over this goddamn country. It's a great big place. And if we're going to see each other, we have to travel far distances in order for that to happen. Uh, and that's just a, that's just a fact of our existence. Uh, maybe we shouldn't, right? Maybe, uh, it would be better if we all lived within 10 miles of each other in the same town where we all grew up, we never went anywhere. Uh, but like, <laughs> how's that work for the liberal world order? Right. Uh, and I don't mean that in like a weird conspiracy way. I just mean like, this is just not the way humans live. Like, it's just not, it's the way that we currently live. We, we cannot expect to get a handle on it and roll it back to some other version of the way humans lived before. And that's, that's even setting aside all of the, technology stuff right. right like it's the problem is so enormous that like it ends up just feeling like it becomes i mean virtue signal is like this weird politically loaded term now but it feels like because there's literally nothing for any of us to do even blaming things on climate change ends up feeling like somebody's just throwing up their hands and saying, well, like, what the fuck are we going to do because climate change? It, it, to me, it always has the exact opposite impact of what they're trying to convince me to do there, which, again, it's not clear to me what it is the author of that piece is trying to convince me, the person on the other end of the argument, to actually do in my life that, that, that would have any impact whatsoever. I, I imagine the argument is that you need to to take collective action and the you is not just how do i exactly. take collective right, action that's, that's the, besides right. putting my fucking bullshit in the recycling bin instead of into the trash right, right? That, like I, there's literally i have no idea what to right, do that, that's kind of the the flaw of his argument because like how can you do that like i mean who's the audience for this argument of uh, i'm a person who's almost entirely unconvinced by the idea that 
humans like i'm convinced that anthropo- anthropogenic or whatever the fucking word is there climate change that that humans do have an impact on our environment in a way that is probably measurable and detrimental to the env- environment i believe that but also i'm i'm further convinced that it is uh it is so minimal as to be uh, a drop in a in a bucket in terms of uh what the earth is going to do with us long term right but but at the same time, I'm all for almost all of the collective action projects that we can muster to solve this problem, right? Like, pour all of our money into nuclear power. That sounds great to me, right? That would significantly reduce the amount of fossil fuels that we throw into the air. Driverless cars, fucking figure it out, right? right? The, the daily today, the reason that we keep aiming for this driverless car future utopia is because we could dramatically reimagine our relationship with the uh, second biggest liability or asset, however you want to qualify it, that most Americans have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, right? Which is their fucking vehicles. Right. Like, there's no reason for us to be owners of two cars. I want to take a robot bus to work. Right, when the alternative is that the robot car could pick Lori up and drive her to work. Or the robot bus could take Calvin to, to school. And then, and it doesn't live in our driveway all the time. Instead, it can be out uh, being productive. And we don't need a neighborhood with 300 cars in it. You need a neighborhood with like fucking 70 cars in it. Anyway, I'm ranting about things that are beyond my control because it makes me crazy when I read people insisting that that, that these things are actually controllable by somebody like me uh, as he's driving his ass up to his lake in Quebec. There there was a uh, some study that just came out not too long ago or some story about a study uh, that said that like Right now, there's like X number of people who live under extreme heat conditions, and they just define it a certain way, like, you know, certain number of days over 85 degrees or something like that, right? And they right. said like in 40 years, like around 2070 or t- around then, like two or three billion people, it's like so many more people will be living under these extreme heat conditions or what have you, right? So the argument I would imagine that this person is clumsily making is that let's do something now to avoid that. Uh, I assume that he believes that something can be done to avoid that outcome, right? You're you're saying that maybe that's not true. Like maybe all the best effort that we do will have negligible impact on the the trajectory. Like we're going to be eating shit in 40 years or other people will. Um, eating shit, and there's nothing that can be done. Like, is that what you're saying? That there's no point of doing. I mean, try these things, but like, don't expect much. I don't know. I think that uh, I, I do still think it's plausible that I still do hold out hope that there is a technological revolution that could uh, fucking save us from ourselves. I believe that it is still possible that technology will deliver us from the worst effects of, of climate change. But who knows? I, I plausibly could be wrong about that. But in either event, when it's become just something that is a, a purely a virtue signal and he offers no salute, right. all he does is he waves at he waves at the general unfortunate feeling that, well, we're not going to hit 1.5 degrees Celsius because it's become this political football. Like, no, it's not because it's become this political football. It's because this is just the way people fucking live. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with either needing a drastic reimagining of the way that we live which people will not accept, or a, a, a moonshot-style 
miracle in terms of the way that we deliver energy uh, to everyone in the world. And it has to be literally everyone in the world because China is not going to stop. India is not going to stop burning coal. Like we're not we're not just because we no matter what we did here, we could galvanize the United States and Canada to do everything in our power to stop climate change. And it wouldn't matter in the fucking least. Right. Because there's uh, there's three billion people on the other side of the world who want to catch up again. Going back to that collective thing. So even like if a country like, like, you know, did something, that's not enough. Everybody has to kind of get together. I will say this. I'm not one for making bold statements, uh, as you know, but there is a 100% chance that what those nerds are saying is going to happen is going to happen. There is no scenario where they're, they're wrong about this. Like all the things are like, oh, that's what they said. Like it's happening. Like slowly it will happen. And like in 10 years from now, we'll be like, okay. It's kind of happening, and then by then it'll be whatever. Uh, but like, I I think they have this spot on. Like, this is trending in that direction. Like, the number of days, these places, the consec, everything's just trending in that path. Like that, I, I just don't see how they're gonna get that wrong. Like, it's just it just doesn't happen. Like, it just stays like this. It, it becomes cold again. I don't think that's true. I think it's gonna be exactly what they've said. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think that the climate is this big, gigantic, complicated thing over which we exercise much less control than we imagine that we do. Uh, and like this, this hot summer might be a meaningful and interesting blip on a, on a long scale. It's really scale. nice out today. Yeah, today was beautiful. Um, or, it, or it, like I, again, like I, I, I am a person who is largely convinced like i'm not particularly skeptical i'm skeptical about a lot of the claims about individual events being confirmation right. of climate change which is what they say not- you shouldn't be doing right like you know when you have the 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 senator from oklahoma walking in with like a ball of ice or oh look at this on this day like where's right. all the heat like yeah and then if you point to like some extreme weather event like in australia that's not proof of anything either right just take the long view. Right. People are very bad at that. And I'm going to play a, we're going to play some Strassman here. Uh-huh. For more on the extreme weather across the country, here's Mark Strassman. Hillary's now hammering Mexico. And soon, why Southern Californians could feel like South Floridians. Tropical storms are rarities here. The last one, 1939. It's crazy. Never seen anything like this, and I've lived here my entire life. That guy's fucking 35, by the way. Maybe, maybe fucking 40. Forecasters predict the storm could dump up to a year's worth of rain in one day. It's another 2023 weather moment. Extraordinary, ominous, and one many experts pin in part on our changing planet. On Maui, charred and scarred, two words improbably share the same space. Hawaii and hellscape. The latest death toll, 114 and rising. Most of the fire zone has now been searched. The governor says climate change helped fuel those flames. The consequence of global warming and storm change is changing things. But we've never had anything like this near a city. Winds from Hurricane Dora, then south of Maui, pushed fires across an island suffering a flash drought. It took less than a single day for us to lose Lahaina in the deadliest fire our country has seen in more than a century. Heat records keep falling like sweat. 
By some measures, all of us just lived through the hottest July ever. Noah's tracking temperatures and it pays to grab some shade. Through July, the agency says there's nearly a 50-50 chance that 2023 goes down as the warmest year on record. In Washington state, near Spokane, a new wildfire forced thousands to evacuate and prompted a state of emergency. The mayor of Medical Lake warned people, get out now. And the middle of the country, from the northern plains to Texas, already swelters under the summer's most expansive heat dome. Temperatures up to 20 degrees above normal. With this year's weather-related events, the abnormal seems constant. Ask people living along the San Diego-Tijuana border this morning with a tropical storm bearing down. It's our Mark Strassman reporting. That is indeed our Mark Strassman, <laughs> Maggie, not yours. How dare you? <laughs> hey, we have uh, Hawaii Hellscape, I believe, was uh, one of the things that he says there. Right. We have his, what was the other thing that he did? It it pays pays to stay in the That's shade. Right. Not clear exactly what that means. And heat records are falling oh, like sweat, which I I've thought about many times, uh, and I can't figure out what the fuck he's talking about. What is it? What does it mean for a heat record right. to fall as sweat falls? You know, I, I, I think he kind of went opposite. You know, because like you know, fall and and rain. I mean, and sweating falling too. But like. The records that are falling are extreme heats in the opposite because of they're going up. Like so, it's kind of this weird thing that he did there. Yeah, caused more confusion. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care for that. I didn't care for it paying to be in the shade, which doesn't make any sense either. You, there's no money involved here. It's not. It's not no financial transaction. Anyway, Abe, did uh, Mark Strassman get off a good um, one this week? With a qualifier, no. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. Uh, but you know, uh, Strassman, he <laughs> pulls it back a little when it's uh, the, the topic is a little more. You know, there's a bunch of people dead, likely many more to come. Uh, so he doesn't want to like bring out the the heavy hitters, you know. So like he he takes it easy, and I appreciate that about him. What I so two things in that report spoken by two different men bothered me. Uh, Strassman aside, obviously. One is the 35-year-old dude who says that uh, he's never seen anything like this before in his entire life. Like, man, you haven't been around that long, okay? <laughs> it's not interesting to say that. Well, you know, okay. I don't... So if you were – if you took that guy from wherever in California and dropped a Florida man now, right, and he's 40 years old, like, he would have experienced, like, hurricanes and, you know – well, Hurricane Andrew back in '92, and all the other ones that came after. I guess, but what does it what does it tell me that the 35 year old has never seen it this before? A, it tells at me at least a once in a 40 year event. I mean, what it tells you it gives you some perspective. It hasn't happened since he was alive. The Earth is billions of years old. <laughs> yes. By the way, literally to me, billions of years old. M- most of the context as to like the the temperature on this planet is as it relates to humans living on it. I don't give a shit what happened to this planet. Like. Billions of years. I know. Ago. I used to be impressed by like NFL records too. Like, ah, oh, nobody's done this in the history of the National <laughs> Football right. League. Yes. And then I turned fucking twelve and realized that the National Football League is like eighty years old or something <laughs> at most. And like, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, football doesn't matter at all. A hundred years from now. There's a really strong chance no one will even think about football at all 
ever anywhere on the I earth. I will say. Football will have been a weird aberration that oh, happened. Oh, you don't think it had that, that lasting no- power? It'll, be, uh, it'll still be around 100 years from now. And O.J. Simpson's 2,000 yards in 14-game season, that's not going to be broken. Like, that will be around 100 <laughs> years from now. That's what he'll be known for. The other thing besides that guy is the governor getting up there and saying, well, you know, because climate change, these – like, that's not why you're yeah. there, man. I'm sorry. That's not why you're – it doesn't matter because climate change. Tell me what the fuck happened here. Tell me why the right. sirens didn't go off. Tell me why the power lines weren't cut off at the right time. Tell me what we're doing now to help people on the ground. Don't throw your hands up and be like, well, what are we going to do? Because fucking climate change took this out of our hands. No, bullshit. You're in charge there. To the extent that anyone is in charge there, you're in charge there. You don't get to just sit back and say, well, climate change. In, in defense of the uh, these people, People, the politicians that come out and say these things, like it's possible. I don't know for sure that's what happened here, but it's possible that this was a question that was posed to them. So I ask you, Bob, like, how would you feel the question where a reporter injects global warming, climate change into something that's happening right now? Do you say like that's not my focus right now and move on, or like, or, or do you? You say, yeah, I don't know. Maybe climate change is the reason that it was hot as – that the drought was going on. But the reality is uh, that's completely beyond my control because I've chosen to be an ex – not an expat, but I live on this fucking island. I wasn't born here. I flew many thousands of miles and my entire state economy relies on uh, putting – Hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff on large ships and planes and filling them with fossil fuels and getting them across the goddamn ocean right. so that we can live here as though we lived on uh, on the mainland, even though uh, we don't, right. Right? right? We're this isolated little thing in the middle of fucking nowhere. And if we had to rely on only ourselves, then we could only be like subsistence farmers right. and shit. Uh, and we don't want that. We want to live here and have money and stuff and fucking iPhones. And like, <laughs> so yeah, fucking climate change did it. <laughs> Asshole, next question. That would be my response. What are you talking about? Why? What is it like? It, uh. You know, the headlines would be low emotional intelligence governor. Right? Loses his shit. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it turns out the governor's a real dummy because he can't regulate his emotions. I want to play one more clip from Strassman because I got a great big kick out of it. Uh, when I first saw it, this is a couple weeks old now. I, the last thing was just from this past Sunday, but this one is from a couple weeks ago. First of all, I dare you to tell me those are not the same. I dude literally was going to say this. Great. The AI, the AI isn't even given us uh, multiple characters to work is, with anymore. This is our robot future, right? All the, our news presenters will just be like these, you know, robots. Yeah. Joining us now from Los Angeles is our CBS News senior national correspondent, Mark Strassman, right there where folks are demonstrating. Um, I know it's loud, Mark, but tell us about what's happening and for how long um, this 24-hour strike is meant to really um, be significant. All right, that is the greatest question (laughs) I've ever heard someone give Strassman. And first, I mean, obviously this is not a video podcast, but when they go to Strassman, it's one of these classic things where the person, like Strasser, clearly isn't quite ready. And he's like nodding angrily at someone off camera. Uh, By Uh, the way, uh, real quick, what is Strassman 
doing in LA? I thought he was a Southeast guy. Like, whose territory is he encroaching on? Every now and then. So remember last year he went out to Vegas and there was that weird politician journalist murder oh, that happened? Oh, right. Yes. So he was on that story. So I think somewhere in his – as national – like senior national news correspondent, they've like got to get him out of the Charlanta uh, megalopolis oh, down there every once in a while. Do you think he's got like a seniority dibs and he like – uh, like he's got like a Vegas trip planned. So like, ah, give me a story there, or he's got a trip. In yeah, LA. I think like seriously because I think it was a I think it was a summer story last time yeah. too. I think he goes to the southwestern United <laughs> States. Sweetheart deal every summer. <laughs> yeah, now, now, but it's in his contract. Anyway, I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna run this back a few seconds. You really got to listen uh, to this. Uh, I was gonna say African American uh, news host, but he's an African American news host with a, a British accent. So the, that's possible. The, the AI is fucking us up here, but uh, listen, listen to the way he describes this uh, this twenty four hour strike. Um, I know it's loud, Mark, but tell us about what's happening and for how long um, this twenty four hour strike is meant to really um, be significant. Uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt again. I had a new theory about what Strasser was annoyed at, and I think it's probably a CIB fan who's. <laughs> Heckling him from the side, what is our, asking him what is our Baba if he's going to get off a good one. What is one? the CIB Baba Booey? Like, is there something you could just say? <laughs> it's got, I mean, it's got to be just Strasser. <laughs> Give me a good one, Strasser. Right. There you go. Uh, uh, anyway, here we are. Tell us about what's happening and for how long um, this 24-hour strike is meant to really um, be significant. For how long is this 24-hour strike going to be significant? That is uh, textbook lost the thread of the sentence. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to land this, but this is going to say something. Uh, hey, Earl, you're right. The rally's just begun. I'll, I'll do more than uh, tell you what's happening. Let me show you what's happening, okay? Uh, for now, it's just a rally. But I got to tell you, it's a high energy, high populated rally at this point. Well, Mark, it's only 24 hours, but 24 hours is still a significant amount of time to have those workers not fulfilling uh, what they're supposed to be doing. And this is happening as writers, actors and hotel workers uh, also continue their own strikes in Los Angeles. How does this latest strike add to the disruptions in the region? Well, you know, it's a city now where you have, you're, you're counting strikes like an umpire, right? I mean, you're, you're just trying to figure out just how much disruption is there going to be and what's going to be the impact on not just the, the, the jobs of the people who are actually striking, but the ripple effect here. But the ripple effect of Hollywood, the biz, as it's called here, uh, is, is obviously significant. I mean, tens of thousands of jobs beyond the individuals who are actually on strike. He is definitely the, on vacation. The, the like writers and the so actors that have walked off the job and essentially shut down production at the, at the major studios. These folks, too, I mean, the ripple effect would be significant. I mean, let's just face it. Nobody wants to go into a nasty public bathroom, right? Nobody wants to do that. Right. And if these folks aren't on the job, what they're saying is that bathroom is going to get nasty in a hurry. So they're trying to convince folks we matter, we count, we deserve a better contract. And now the, the ball's sort of in the city's court to say, okay, here's our definition of fairness, and let's see whether your definition and our definition can somehow meet in the middle. All right, Mark Strassman laying the scene for us there in Los Angeles. We thank you. All right, I want to apologize uh, on behalf of uh, the CIB uh, nation for distract the heckling of Strassman. Obviously, put him off his game. He was rattled. What happened? That was a uh, calling. He said that the, the, the strike, calling strikes, like an umpire. 
in Hollywood like an umpire? What does that mean? I think. <laughs> what does that mean, Mark? <laughs> Aren't we in our third strike now? So, like, what is that? Who's out? The city. Also, the other thing that he said, he does like the Michael. It's a full Michael Scott thing when he's like uh, out here in Hollywood or the biz, as they call it out here. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Strasser? <laughs> Uh, definitely something Steve Carell would have said as uh, as Michael Scott. Anyway, a, a, multiple chances uh, last couple of weeks for Strassman. Did the vacationing Mark Strassman get off a good? No, one? that that was a very poor showing. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. I'm not going to accuse him of, of of him being under any sort of influence, but like that was a very off video hit. Like a, just off. Yeah, well, when he goes, when they do the live ones, he's never quite as, yeah, he's obviously never what quite as good. What was that haggard look? Was that just like how he just, just or disheveled, I should say. He, he's not, he, he wasn't as well put together. I know it's hot out there, but was he trying to go for the uh, working man look? Anyway, you've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe and the uh, lone supporters of Mark Strassman's career, I think, at this point. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com for a show note. Uh, opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com for more of that. Abe, there was a new, I believe, rated R a DC Comics movie that came out this week called The Blue Beetle, I think it was called. Did you go see PG-13. it? PG-13. Uh, and and ah. yes, uh, Blue Beetle. No, the. Just Blue Beetle. Not a good movie. Uh, Not a particularly good movie. Is uh, the, the, That's the review that you have for something like 90 plus percent of the movies that you see. So. I did. That, that's that's not entirely true. Uh, so I saw two movies. I saw this movie, and I also saw Amadeus, per your uh, recommendation. And that's I right. enjoyed one a lot and one not so much, right? And I went on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll sometimes do like, oh, these. Let's see what the riffraff believe in things. You know, you have an idea of like where the number will be. I can kind of tell. And so I'm thinking Amadeus is going to be in the 90s, uh, and Blue Beetle is going to be... 50-something. Just, you know, they're doing this, oh, all the same superhero stuff, but, like, they're, like, Hispanic. Like, that that was the whole hook, right? right. Uh, something, and I'll be, like, somebody will give it some, like, positive. That I was fine and give it, like, a positive thing. So right. somewhere in the 50s. I go there. This is a certified fresh movie. Like, it is. Oh, wow. It's 92 audience score and then 76 on the tomato or whatever thingy. Like, this movie. Did you read any of the reviews? I Did you find... went through a few. You know, sometimes they'll, they'll give it whatever, you know, like if they have a four-star system or like a five-point system, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes they'll just be like a tepid kind of like, eh. But it'll go in the win, win column for some reason. I don't know how they, they, right. they, they do that. But, like, it wasn't that far off from Amadeus. Like, Amadeus was like in the 80s uh, and... The audience score, I think, was, like, maybe in the 90s. But, like, they were within, like, 10 points of one another. And these two movies are, like, so far apart in quality. It's, like, not even close. Right. And so I don't know. Well, they're judging on a completely different scale. When they do these, it's like when you go back and look at the reviews from, like, the the early to mid Marvel movies before they before the critics sort of finally started getting tired of things. Right. Uh, like those all were certified fresh in the early goings, right? Like all of the Avengers movies were very popular with the critics. And you go and you read the reviews and like you're saying, it's mostly like 
obviously grading on a right. curve. Right. Like right. it's this is uh, schlocky nonsense, but yeah, it's a movie. It's it a was movie. fun. But that, people, that, that's a thing. People like movies. I am also grading it on that same. I'm, I'm saying it wasn't good. By that standard, I'm not expecting like some masterpiece. It's a movie called Blue Beetle. I was subjected to this stupid fucking trailer like ten times. Like, oh, this is fucking dumb. I've never heard of this stupid creature. That's not you. Go to the movies a yeah. lot, so, so it's not the trailer's fault that right. you were subjected to but it. But they so always much. place it like at the end. Can't they play it early on when I'm not there? <laughs> fucking asshole. I don't know. Uh. You'll have to ask them. All right, so Blue Beetle sucked uh, despite its positive reviews. I wonder if it is that just like the diversity card that they played there that that uh, it's got to be some sort of p- pity thing like the... that because like the movie was you know I mean all these superhero movies are formulaic like they hit the same beats and this did right. that it didn't do it well so like I didn't I thought the meth would yes but it did it with a very brown <laughs> cast so it must have been better. Uh, Amadeus uh, didn't have a very brown cast. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it had a single brown person in it. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, some Italians who would have been considered brown yeah. at the time, uh, but that doesn't count. I watched Amadeus as well. It took me, uh, I did it on Monday night and Tuesday night after you mentioned that you had seen it, and I hadn't seen it in uh, some number of years. And. I had very fond memories of the movie. I always consider it, like, if I have a list of my favorite movies, Amadeus would probably be on it, despite not having seen it in a very long time. And I was I was confirmed in my appreciation of that movie, uh, having watched it this week. It is available on Amazon Prime. And I was disappointed in myself for having gone this long and requiring Oppenheimer to remind me to tell, now, I did. I told you back when we were watching The White Lotus Season 2, you should watch Amadeus because F. if you like F. Murray yes. Abraham here, you're going to like him in this other thing. And So this is partly on you for not having watched this earlier. <laughs> but also, I had forgotten how much of the plot of Amadeus revolves around a guy being furious with a spiteful god yes which plays directly into your whole oh my thing oh god i thought like, it was <laughs> the the amount of spite that f murray abraham that salieri believes exists in the god that he despises <laughs> is on a par with only one other person that i have known in my life which is you and it's it, i'm furious at myself for not like having internalized that enough to force you to watch this movie at some point fucking 15 years ago i uh that was like i, I when i was watching the movie i like literally stood up and just started laughing because like i was like this is i've never seen that like portrayed exactly i mean th- i've never seen a character have such a transactional relationship with god like early on he's like oh lord help me out my old man does not care for music he's kind of an obstacle like Something were to happen right. to him, that would be great. His old man <laughs> chokes and he's like happy, like yes, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then, like he, he he imagines that this guy who wrote this great music must be like equal to that, like in in character. And he's like this schmuck with a fucking weird laugh, and he right. is incensed. Like I can't believe the god that played favorite earlier with killing my old man is the same god. Who gave that talent to this sack of shit, you know? And then, like, did he, like, burn, like, the cross? At the end, he was like, fuck this. Like, he literally just said, fuck all this religion stuff. Like, it is totally useless to me. Like, it was very, like, what's in it for me? There was, like, all the other stuff, like, like, I'm going to, like, 
some weird thing about like give up his chastity or something. I don't know. Wasn't he like screwing around? Like I don't. I didn't get that part. But like he would do all these things if you gave me what I want. And as soon as he didn't get exactly what he wanted, because he himself is a talented so person. So I think he does. I think the character does stay devout and true to his his vow of chastity. Of like of all the things to stay devout and and true to. Because uh, this is a real piece of shit, the Salieri guy, right? Like, uh, just <laughs> my just, kind of guy, <laughs> uh, just absolutely overcome with the just the most poisonous sort of rage and 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 rage filled jealousy that that you can imagine, uh, and 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 yet still a committed Catholic. What was that? Like, <laughs> yeah, that but what was that? Uh, there was that scene where there was an actress or whatever that uh, was. Uh, he said something where like, oh, this guy got my girl or something. like he phrased it in a certain way. I thought right. they well, he was alluding had, he to had they sort had of claimed her in his, in his he had claimed her in his imagination, but uh, I think the he never he never married and he, I believe the character is uh supposed to be framed as to never having fucked either. Like okay. he's he's a he's a guy who didn't consummate this uh, love that he had for the actress and was furious that Mozart was was fucking her on the side. So he um, stayed true to his end of his made-up bargain with God. Right, but God did not stay true to his end of it in his I mean and there are mo- like this is I think this is a a criminally underrated movie. It should be more I don't it, think it's underrated. Oscar? I think this it's like, like a, a blind top spot. 50 movie. This one how many Oscars? Like I didn't know it was like a well-regarded yeah. It's just not I, – I mean underrated like culturally. Like it, right, it doesn't come up in the cultural conversation yes. at all. It was it was well-received at the time and it won its fair share of awards certainly. Uh, but there are tremendous performances and the, the highs in this movie, this three-hour-long movie, which I will acknowledge if you're not interested in like the performance the, – like the, the operas, like they, they do drag a little bit uh, potentially uh, for today's modern audience presumably. Um but the 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 highs that this movie reaches in some of the scenes are just fucking spectacular. Like the scene where uh, Salieri, F. Murray Abraham's character, is is reading through the sheet music that uh, Mozart's wife has has brought by, right. and and the the way that he's able to portray uh, the way that he's overcome by uh just reading this music there is spectacular the 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 scenery chewing stuff that both the Mozart guy does and F Murray Abraham does absolutely fucking works it's just really well done and it's a very funny movie yes. like the 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 spitefulness comes through <laughs> in such amusing so ways and like when he when he plays his little tune on the piano as he's trying to compose something uh, to play for Mozart, to impress Mozart, yeah. and he, he believes that he's had a moment of divine inspiration, and he, he looks up at the cross and he goes, grazie, signori, right? And then the, this whole long scene plays out that ends in the humiliation of Salieri yeah. uh, because, because Mozart uh, is able to transform this little ditty that he wrote into something much more interesting and better Effort- after just— so- Effortlessly, Effortlessly too. riffing on the, on the piano in the room, right? It's something— 
something he'd never heard before. He hears it one time, he plays it back, and then makes it a thousand times better. And we we smash cut to F. Murray Abraham back in his room. Yeah. Grazie, signore, <laughs> to the to the spiteful Christ who's just out to ruin his life. Why, why couldn't he just accept that in this imperfect vessel there was this great musician? Like he can't seem to re. He it just escapes his. Imagination. Right, because they're they're a perfect pair, and these are this is what I, the other thing that I liked about this in in relation to Oppenheimer is that I think that we should take from Mozart about as much of the historical record as we should take from Oppenheimer. Right, right. now that's not to say that Oppenheimer doesn't try to hew a little bit closer to historical reality, but. Uh, also, in terms of the thing that you should be taking away from these movies, you should be ignoring anything that you might think actually happened in real life history right. uh, relative to these things. So this is this story is completely made up. Right. right. The, the, right. the, the there's, there's Salieri no and Mo- yeah. Mozart didn't have this sort of relationship. Uh, Salieri was not a pious weirdo who never married. In fact, he had a large family, and uh, Mozart didn't die in grand infamy in sort of the way that he died here. He did die in uh, a very young man in uh, somewhat mysterious circumstances because it was fucking 200 goddamn years ago and they didn't really have medicine yet. Uh, 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 and yeah, he, he owed some debts at the time, but he wasn't some fucking like layabout lout or something right. uh, that, that nobody liked. Uh, he was well-respected in his time. Uh, but still, the story is just fucking spectacular, and that's what you should be taking away from this: is yeah, it's, no. it's study of the of the characters. Make more Amadeus movies and fewer Blue Beetle movies. So it didn't drag for you at three hours? It wasn't no, too much. No, so you know, I, I still stick to my thinking that a, a good movie can't be long enough, and a bad no. movie can't be short enough. Like so, like I'm fine with if something is good, and I'm especially that character. Like, like and then twenty hours, I would have just sat there. Right, I agree. It was I. I could watch that forever. They were both the the, the two, and and all of the supporting actors are good too. Um, but the the two leads are are on another level. And uh, I I looked into the director's cut versus the regular cut because yeah. the director's cut was uh, something like eighteen minutes longer. And as far as I can tell, there's like one scene that they added back in uh, in terms of the plot, and then the rest of it is just sort of extended musical interludes okay when i first saw amadeus i swear i saw a scene where there's two dudes in a crowd like in a you know like a crowd of fancy opera goers yeah Mm -hmm. two dudes in like 80s clothes just like snuck on the set like sticking out like a sore thumb or something yeah they're not in like flashy 80s clothes but they're not in period clothes they're in just like regular clothes like a couple of dudes in denim or something yeah they just are dudes and then it's a very quick thing and then they duck out of the way as soon as the scene is like ending and people are moving away and i haven't been able to find that scene Hmm. but maybe it's the director's cut I don't know. I, I don't I, know either. I haven't. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I could peruse the IMDb for uh, weird mistakes, but uh, I, I didn't catch it. that either. Anyway, the the scene that is restored is a like crucial one, where it's the the scene where Mozart's wife goes to Salieri when he's been like 
hey, uh, why don't you come over and fuck, and then I'll get Mozart the job that he's after, and you guys will have some money. And he says it basically as as plainly as that, right? right. Like he doesn't leave any room for ambiguity. And so she ends up coming over that night and offers to fuck and takes her clothes off. And he calls a servant into the room and says, uh, take this woman out, right? right? So he humiliates her in that moment. And that scene is cut short, apparently, in the original, which makes the callback in the very last moments of the movie when she says, I'm sorry, we don't have a servant to show you out. Mm-hmm. Like... It still holds, like right. it's still it's fine, I guess, because she's sort of impoverished in that moment, and they don't have a servant right. to uh, take her out. But when I've when you see that without the earlier context of him humiliating her by having the servant show up and and take her out when she's taking her clothes off, it made me think that like somehow she caught wind that the maid that they'd had had been a plant all along right. or something like right. that was like the thing that she was getting at somehow but that clearly that's not it right. that's just her uh hearkening back to why she has such animus for Salieri in the first place right. which is that he was a just unconscionable piece of shit uh to her in a in a time of need when he very easily could have uh just done something for them uh, that he himself recognizes would be good for the world, right? right. Like that, that's the the true sickness of Salieri. There is that he is one of the few people on the planet who fully recognizes and appreciates just how special Mozart is, at least in this rendition of the history, uh, and. Uh, he is uh, he is willing to keep it for himself rather than try to spread the good word because uh, he's such a fucking selfish piece of shit. Uh, but yeah, I love that movie, and I, I am disappointed that it's not available on 4K. There's a Blu-ray release of the director's cut. Oh my god, stop talking! That I'm this. sure I'll take uh, and and order at some point, but it, it needs a proper re-release in in full 4K. Right. I think that's pretty much all we watched. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, another movie that you think is great still. That's true. Um, we watched we watched The Secret of the Ooze with the kids. We, again, we've talked again. about it on this podcast already. Yeah, I'm, I'm back to being a slight apologist for this movie. I think the last it's time so we bad. talked about it, I had said, man, that movie turns out it fucking sucks because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh, but now I'll go to bat for the secret of the ooze, except for like the last half an hour. Like I think that a, it's a pretty big it's chunk. Bit, yeah, it's especially out of like an eighty-eight minute movie. But uh, we it, also watched the newer Space Jam. Oh uh, yeah, we watched the newer Space Jam. I liked Legacy. it. Whatever. That movie sucks ass, and I don't know what movie Lori was watching. But that I was movie mostly fucking, doing a puzzle. That I wasn't movie really was watching it. Terrible. I actually did not watch that. It was fine. How did you not see Space Jam Legacy? You see all the goddamn movies. I know. Movies. Just, I don't know. Sometimes I'll miss we one. We also watched um, LeBron How to James, with John Wilson in addition, more. In addition to not being as good a basketball player as Michael oh, Jordan. Like Jordan, like a, it, a good actor. <laughs> isn't even as good an actor as Michael Jordan, who's not a good actor. <laughs> I can't imagine to be clear. either of them are that good. I mean, I, I remember Jordan wasn't particularly good. No, and this was a stupid movie, and they yeah, did like the, the they did a full third of it with LeBron as a cartoon, which like the whole appeal is to see LeBron James's uh, crazy human body do weird cartoon things. But if you just turn him into a fucking cartoon, then it's not that interesting yeah. anymore. Uh, and also, that movie was just fucking terrible. We also uh, watched no How to with qualities. John Wilson. 
It's the final season. Yeah, we finally started it's the so John Wilson uh, season three. And if the first season was like fucking transcendent and like weirdly wonderful, which is what my experience of that first season was, was like, wow, I'm experiencing this and it's super interesting and it, it's sort of blowing me away with the way that he's doing things here. Then the second season felt like a writer's room show that hadn't quite found its feet yet, right. but was trying to like mash a writer's room onto this other thing that was its own thing and didn't quite work as well. Back now in season three, I feel like, oh, the writer's room fucking figured it out because it, it does feel more like a writer's room than season one did. And so it's not quite this like weirdly transcendent experience, right. but it's working much better. Uh, what are we like two or three episodes in? Uh, yeah, I love it. It's so good. It's great. Yeah. No, it, yeah, I, I haven't started on the third season, but that's a good that's a good show. There's a cat. Oh, yeah. There's a cat. <laughs> Lori's wanting a cat. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Abe, have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. I mean it though, man. I was uh, watching that movie and I was mad at myself for not having recognized how much of the spiteful God (laughs) thing is going on in that movie. Uh, yeah. If there's one thing I could change about that movie, it's that the the old age makeup on yeah. Abraham. It's what they had at the time. It's like it's just not that good, yeah, exactly. and it's a bummer. Had. It's just good. It's just gotten so much better. That's what it just was. By the way, and I forgot to mention, I always I keep fucking doing this because I don't take notes. But when the priest fails to absolve Salieri of his sins, because in part. I mean, strictly speaking, Salieri isn't really confessing. It's more of like a prideful thing. Yeah. Like he's 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 like owning up to it yes. rather than actually confessing. But in the in a weird way, the film confirms the spiteful god narrative by not absolving Sal, by by having the Catholic priest there not actually forgive him of his sins. Yes. Right? He just leaves. The priest is flummoxed and unable to fucking do the thing. Although what where did he's he expect like, after that uh, whole rendition? Right, no, but like a Catholic priest always you always get the no absolution from the Catholic priest and by by having him not do the absolution, it confirms uh, spiteful God theory, uh, which was which was Abraham's whole point all along. That's right. So good, such a good movie. Good movie. All right. Good night. I got a problem. Oh my God, just a Bob. second. I'm just gonna get out of camera range and fix my problem. It's definitely not a ball and a cock and ball related problem. problem. Am, it was it's not. Disgusting. It was not Lori's lying. It was definitely not at all related to the package or uh, unfortunate arrangement down there. Sick. <laughs> sick. That's right. It's fucking sick. 
That's what we need on the debate is somebody up there just wantonly adjusting their package. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that would really shoot Asa Hutchinson to the top that, of the uh, list. Wasn't there some guy who, was, uh, who got injured playing pickup basketball, or at least that was a story? Maybe he can do that, and then if anybody calls him on it, just say, like, oh, it's my uh, Achilles. That's what I'm grabbing. Yeah, that. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.